Hi, this is Adam Rowe, a global Methodist pastor welcoming you to Whole in Christ. Here we delve into the life-changing essence of God's love, exploring its role in perfecting us and transforming our everyday lives. As we journey together, let's unravel spiritual truths, cultivate personal growth, and discover how we can become whole in Christ. Ready for a transformative experience? Let's get started. Welcome back, friends. You know, I had a boss once who said, Ro, what you need to do is under-promise and over-perform. And that has been great advice. I've tried to take that advice throughout my, my military career and my life, and I find that it generally works pretty well. I mean, if you under-promise, people don't expect much. And then if you over-perform, they're impressed that you actually got it done in a manner that was better than you thought you were going to get it done. Well, as I'm thinking about my overpromise of being able to get through Romans, um, in my original ads, I said it was going to be doing a, I think, 16-day study where I would be posting every day. And, you know, as you're working in a full-time job, as you're in the process of planting a church, which is a real thing, uh, Renewal Methodist Church, I'm beginning to build the online presence, and I'm excited about that. And as you're just doing your daily stuff, um, you begin to realize that maybe, maybe the promises you made aren't going to be able to work out. And that's where I'm at right now. So here's the thing. We are still going to go through Romans, uh, but I'm not going to promise that it's going to be every day. You, dear li listener, are going to get a new episode when the, when the episode drops. That's just the best I can promise right now. And today, we are going to finally jump into the text of Romans. I got to tell you, um, so when you open the first 17 verses of Romans, you're looking at the introduction of a book, right? It's, an, it's the introduction of a letter that Paul is writing to the Roman church. Most introductions, frankly, to letters are kind of boring. Um, I don't know about you, but very often I struggle to maintain attention to things that seem maybe like they're not so important, you know, or like I, I need to get through this before I go to the meat of what I'm trying to learn or study. Romans, though, doesn't give you that privilege because Paul starts with theological statements from the very start. There is no like sort of warm up like, hey, I'm Paul. How are you guys doing in Rome? Hope things are going. He gets into meaty theological statements in the very first verses. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to read all of Romans 1 verses 1 through 17, and then we're going to start to break it down um, section by section and verse by verse. I think by the end, you're going to find that it's pretty amazing. Right now, I am doing, I'm going through Romans uh, with a here study group. That's highlight, explain, apply, respond um, with Matt and Jeremy. And we're going through Romans right now. It's been awesome doing that. I'm also using it in a Wednesday night study that I have out here at uh, Clear Space Force Station. And we have found that it, it, the conversation we had on Wednesday night was absolutely fantastic. In fact, uh, so fantastic that I am starting to think I need to do roundtables on uh, some of the podcasting. But at any rate. With that, let's jump into the text. It's Romans 1, verses 1 through 17. I am reading from the New American Standard Bible, 
Uh, I like that one because it is the most literal of all the translations while maintaining uh, the ability to be reader friendly, but you can use whatever you want. So Romans 1 verses 1 through 17. Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets and the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was born of a descendant of David according to the flesh, who was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead, according to the Spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for his name's sake, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. To all who are beloved of God in Rome, called as saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. For God whom I serve in my spirit and the preaching of the gospel of his Son is my witness as to how, to unce- to how unceasingly I make mention of you, always in my prayers making requests. If perhaps now at last by the will of God I may succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, so that I may impart some spiritual gift to you, that you may be established, that is, that I may be encouraged together with you while among you, each of us by the other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I have that I often that often have I planned to come to you, and have been prevented so far so that I may obtain some fruit among you also, even as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. All right. So just broadly looking at this, what we see is Paul making an introduction, and he immediately grounds it in Jesus Christ. And then he also transitions into explaining how the lineage of David plays into the life of Jesus. He then refers to the people in Rome as the saints of Rome who are called out. And then he goes into his mission, his calling to proclaim the gospel and his desire to be among the saints of Rome so that there can be mutual edification. And then he closes by talking about how uh, he is not ashamed of the role to which he's been called, which is to be a proclaimer of the gospel of Jesus Christ because there's power in it. So Understanding these broad themes, let's begin to bury down into the the specific statements he makes in the text. And his very first statement is a powerful statement. Paul, a bond servant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. What is a bond servant and how is that different than a servant? Well, a bond servant was someone who had fulfilled their obligation uh, to their master and was free to be freed, but rather than going free, chose to stay in service to 
the master. So what Paul is identifying himself as, just starting straight away here, is someone who has voluntarily bonded himself to Jesus Christ. Now, Paul did not voluntarily bond himself to Jesus in the beginning. In the beginning, if you recall, Paul was on the Damascus Road. He was walking down the street, getting ready to go and persecute some uh, Christ followers. When he has this amazing experience where Christ comes to him and calls him to a life of service to the gospel. So Paul has this conversion experience. He begins this life of faith to the gospel, referring to himself even as one who has given himself up to service to Jesus fully in every way. Uh, as we talked about in the Bible study, he made himself a eunuch, not in the physical sense, but in the spiritual sense, where he gave up everything. He gave all right to being married, to any sort of life uh, apart from the gospel. He was solely focused on the gospel. And so he was a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called as an apostle. Now, Paul's apostleship is unique because he is not an apostle in the sense that he physically walked with Jesus on earth. And that's what makes his apostleship unique. When we talk about the 12 disciples, we're usually talking about disciples who walked with Jesus for three years on earthly ministry, and then eventually went on to spread the gospel in the world. Paul didn't have that walking with Jesus. He alludes to that several times, where at one point he finally does have the opportunity to speak with the apostles and let them know, you know, to kind of test his theology with their theology to make sure that he was saying the right things. But he didn't have the benefit of that three-year ministry walk with Jesus. Even so, he writes two-thirds of the New Testament. So in some sense, you might say that he understood the gospel as well, or maybe even better than the other apostles. And we'll get into that in the book here, because we do find that Paul also serves as a rebuker of Cephas or Peter, as we find later in the, um, actually in 1 Corinthians, I believe it is, or 2 Corinthians. But at any rate. So Paul is set apart for the gospel of God. There's an important lesson in that. A lot of times we look at the life of Paul and or we look at the life of some of the apostles and we feel like maybe we should be as good as they are at what they do. We need to understand that God sets us all apart for different things. And some people are called to be set apart as apostles for the gospel of God. It's not the same thing as a local pastor. If you look at Paul's ministry, he was very much focused on planting churches, going out into different places of the world, doing different things. And that's how he was used by God to bless the church. But we all have different blessings. We all have different things that we're called to do. Paul was called, uh, he was set apart for the gospel of God. So now we get into verses two and three. Called as an apostle set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets and the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was born of a descendant of David, according to the flesh, who was declared the son of God with power by the resurrection of the dead, according to the spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord. Okay. Again, we need to keep in our minds who Paul is writing to. Paul is writing to a Roman church where they have both Jew and Gentile. Again, to be a Christ follower at this time did not mean that you renounced 
your Jewish background. If you were born and raised in Judaism, uh, Paul himself referred to himself as a Pharisee until the day he died. So for the church at this time, there is no distinction in their mind between being a Christ follower and being a Jew. You could do both faithfully. Uh, Jews kept the dictates of the law. They continued to find great uh, peace, comfort, and connection to God through that. There's nothing wrong with that. The only problem came when they tried to make Gentiles do the same. That was the issue. So at this time, before the destruction of the temple in Israel, you have a church that has both in it. And that's why Paul goes back to descendant of David according to the flesh. To the Jewish mindset, this is important because it points toward David, who is a prominent figure in Jewish literature, Christian as well. But the mindset of the Jew is that this descendant, this Messiah, is very deeply connected to Judaism. He was born of a descendant of David, according to the flesh, who was declared, declared the Son of God. Interesting that Paul makes, I, I don't know that I would call it a distinction, but he makes this transition. So he was born of a descendant of David according to what? Flesh. He was declared the son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. Why is the resurrection so important to the Christian faith? There are even some liberal Christians who would say it's not that important. We can just say that Jesus is a nice moral teacher who came to give us some instruction on the ways that we should live, and that's enough. It's not enough. And Paul says uh, several places in Scripture, if Jesus died, then what we're doing is worthless as Christians. We might we could do anything else. It, it doesn't really matter. If, if Jesus did not rise from the dead, then our faith is futile, and there's no point in doing anything uh, on a Sunday morning, going to church, or a Saturday for those who think of themselves as Messianic Jews. There's, there's no purpose to anything that we're doing unless Jesus rose from the dead. Why? Because it is in the resurrection that Jesus declared that he was the Son of God. And with that declaration comes authority. Authority is important when we talk about the life of faith. A lot of times I take things back to the military. You know, it's what so much of my background is. When a person receives command, they're given authority with that command. That authority comes with leading, making decisions, guiding, uh, I mean, I'm not a commander, so it's hard for me to speak to all the things that it comes with, but it comes with authority, right? And you have to have that authority in order for people to know which direction to go. So I'm not a commander. If I go up to an airman and I say something that thoroughly contradicts what a commander has said, that airman's first thought should be, who has the authority to make that command decision? And how is it displayed? Well, in the military, we have change of command ceremonies, a visual distinction where authority is passed from one person to another for command. 
Well, in the example of Jesus, authority, the way of faith, is declared fully and completely through the resurrection of Jesus. Why? Because he's the only person who has ever, in the history of the world, risen from the dead. Well, except for the ones that Jesus raised from the dead, thinking of Lazarus. But Jesus, in a sense, raised himself from the dead. Nobody does that. That's authority. When there's no outside human interference, there's no doctor, there's no, uh, you know, he's not getting the paddles put on him and, and being brought back to life. He's in the tomb. He's dead. And then he's resurrected. Now, if you see a resurrected Jesus, you can assume that the authority with which he speaks is a truthful authority because he has done something nobody else has done. And the very thing that religious skeptics will point to as unbelievable is the very place where we find authority. Because as Christians, we acknowledge, yeah, absolutely. People aren't normally resurrected. We don't tend to find people who come back from the dead. Once they're dead, they're dead. Except for Jesus. Jesus alone declared his authority, and he was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. According to what? The spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord. And it is through this spirit of holiness that Jesus passes down his authority. So at the day of Pentecost, the church receives the Holy Spirit, and with that Holy Spirit comes authority to declare on behalf of God. We read in verse 5, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for his name's sake, among whom you are also the called of Jesus Christ. So it's interesting. In our Bible study on Wednesday, we looked up the uh, reference to Gentiles. And the word that's used there, which I forgot to write down and I'm not going to get into right now, but the word that was used there can be more universal. It can be more nations. And some of you in your translations might, it might actually read nations. But this was particular, uh, the way that the word is used is only used one time in scripture. And it is specific to non-Jewish nations. So in other words, you would tend to find this word used in a way that speaks to the nations that are not Jewish. It's not saying, it's not that it's not saying nations, it's just that it's saying nations in a particular context that doesn't include the Jewish fold. Now, Jews are included, but what, but keep in mind, Paul is writing to a mostly Jewish audience, so he doesn't need to reiterate that. But what does he focus on here? Obedience of faith. The obedience of faith. And Paul is getting ready here and starting in verse 18 to talk about disobedience of faith, but he wants to focus on obedience of faith in this passage. Why? The Holy Spirit's authority and power comes not just with forgiveness, but also the power to overcome sin. 
the power to overcome brokenness. Forgiveness is important, but we in the Western Church, particularly in Protestant traditions, have tended to receive a, a truncated gospel where it's presented as if the gospel is designed only to forgive us of our sins and to after that, it, it's almost like it becomes kind of therapeutic, really. This is one of the problems I have with uh, churches that, that only focus on topical types of sermons. Um, when you start with a topical sermon, you by necessity start introducing a lot of worldly wisdom rather than pure biblical wisdom. Because you start with the topic, and then you'll usually bring the Bible into it. It's not that you don't bring the Bible into it at all. And you probably have a lot of worldly wisdom. But Christians are not called to grow in worldly wisdom. We're called to grow in spiritual knowledge, truth, and obedience. Which is why I tend to like lectionary preaching or even exegetical preaching where you just go through books of the Bible. Uh, I'm not opposed to topical preaching, but it should be, in my opinion, something that is not the norm. It's it's uh, something that you do from time to time, usually in summer months, because they're slower then. But anyway, rabbit trail, sorry, ADHD struck again. <laughs> um, obedience of faith. You know, as I've been working uh, with others on this plant for Renewal Methodist Church, it's going to be in the Phoenix West Valley. We're still looking for locations, but we're starting to get things established. I'm really, really excited because one of the things that we've determined is that we're going to focus the church not just on the social, not just on um, kind of the therapeutic, but really focusing on that Wesleyan holiness, calling people to obedience of faith. Not because we're better than everybody else, but because we're sinners like everyone else. And we don't, we're not content just to kind of look at our sin and say, well, that's okay. No biggie. We got grace. We do have grace, but we don't want to abuse grace. And we want that grace and apostleship, as Paul says in verse 5, we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith. The purpose of grace and apostleship is to bring about the obedience of faith. And where do we find that obedience? In the words of Scripture. Among whom? The obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for his name's sake among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. You also are the called of Jesus Christ. What did Jesus call us to? The obedience of faith. He does it with grace. He does it with those apostles who come and speak the word to us. He gives us the authority of the apostolic faith to lead us to the obedience of faith. Now, friends, that's only the first five verses. I could stop right here and probably wait to go to the next one, but I'm not going to do that. And the rest won't take quite as long. But do you see that in just in that first um, paragraph, there's a lot there, a lot of theology, and it calls us to some questions for our own lives. What does it mean for me to be a bondservant of Jesus Christ? Because we are all called to be bondservants. It doesn't mean we're all going to be apostles like... like uh, like Paul, 
But we are all called to be bond servants. We are all called to generate our rest, our peace, our faith, and our obedience and the authority that we have to share the gospel. All of that comes from the resurrection of Jesus. And it is all designed to bring us to an obedience of faith. And now Paul makes the pivot in verse 7 to all who are beloved of God in Rome, called as saints, called as saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's almost like, well, thanks, Paul. You just gave us a theological treatise. Now you're saying hi uh, to the beloved of God in Rome called as saints. Now, here's what I want you to hear in this. This is so important. Paul is getting ready, uh, for lack of a better phrase, to rip the Romans a new one throughout the first three chapters. But notice how he speaks of them starting. They are the beloved of God, and they are called as saints. It's as if Paul is reminding them of their identity before reminding them of their sin and reminding them not to judge the Gentiles because they are indeed a very sinful people. But that, that is not their identity, and this is so important. It's such a challenge in the walk of the Christian faith. In the walk of faith, we tend to struggle with this idea that if we are struggling in sin, that we are cut off from God. My personal perspective is that we are cut off from God when we are no longer willing to refer to sin as sin, but we are not cut off from God when we are continuing to struggle and wrestle out sin. Or as uh, Paul says, we are working out our salvation with fear and trembling. Our identity as people who are walking with God and declaring the gospel of Jesus Christ is saints. We are called as saints. It does not mean we have been perfected yet, but it does mean that we are saints on the path to whole perfection in Jesus Christ, and that we should continue to wear that identity even in the face of our challenges with sin. We know that Paul struggled with sin. He refers to it as a thorn in the flesh. So our identity is as saints. It does not mean that we get to stop calling sin, sin. It is. My sin is still sin. And I need to work out that sin in repentance to the glory of Jesus Christ. All right. And then we jump into first date, verse eight. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. That's pretty cool. I think we would all like to say that uh, in our churches, our faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. For God, whom I serve in my, in my spirit, in the preaching of the gospel of his son, is my witness as to how unceasingly I make mention of you. Paul's talking about the Romans like a proud father, right? And notice how he grounds it, his, his ministry again. For God, whom I serve in my spirit in the preaching of the gospel of his son. It's not Paul's strength. It's the spirit of God in Jesus Christ. That's important for all of us to trust and understand. It is very easy for us to think, that we are doing things of our own power. And it's also the reason that very often we're afraid to share the gospel with the world. We feel like, well, 
I don't have all the answers. That might be true, but we're not called to. We're just called to proclaim and declare the gospel as it's been given to us and then trust in the spirit of God to give us the words and to give us the, the power that we need to speak when we need it. Paul says in verse 10 that the Romans are always in my prayers making request. If perhaps now at last by the will of God, I may succeed in coming to you. We see here, Paul does very much want to go to Rome. He longs to see them in verse 11, so that I may impart some spiritual gift to you that you may be established. That is that I may be encouraged together with you while among you, each of us by the other's faith, both yours and mine. The older I get, the more I am just increasingly convinced that you have to have fellow brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ that you're walking with. I can tell you that when I spend time away from the fellowship, whether due to military types of things or whatever, um, my faith suffers, my walk with God suffers, my sanctification suffers. And I've heard it put this way, you know, a, a pastor goes, it's kind of a silly little story, but it says something. Pastor goes to a guy's house who, in the middle of winter, and uh, the guy hasn't been to church in some time. And so the pastor asks him, you know, just, hey, just wondering where you've been, why you haven't been there. And the guy said, well, I don't think I need to be in church and I don't need to be around other Christians in order to be faithful with God. Guy has a fire going in his fireplace. So the, the pastor takes out one of the pieces of wood that is on fire and he sets it apart from the rest of the fire. And of course, the fire, that piece of wood eventually dies and the, the fire goes out. It's very much the same in the Christian life. When I have my Bible studies on Wednesday with Matt and Jeremy, and then when I have my Bible studies on Wednesday with the other group here at the Space Force Station, I feel re-energized and reinvigorated. It's that shot in the arm that you need, whether it's at the worship service or at the Bible study or in service. And one of the pastors I very much admire, his name is Lynn Winters. He's the pastor of uh, Cornerstone Christian in uh, Chandler, Arizona. Great church if you live in that area. But he said, you know, he recommends everybody submit at least three hours a week to life among other believers. Pardon me, um, <clears throat> among other believers. So what he recommends is one by one by one uh, equals one. One hour in worship each week, one hour in a small group or Bible study. Usually in most churches, you can get that knocked out on a Sunday morning, right? You got your two hours right there. And then one hour in service to the church so that you can serve other believers. I would add one more one to that. I would also say one hour a month, at least, in service to the community. But at any rate, that fellowship of believers is so central to what it means for us to be encouraged, to mature, and to serve. And we need all of those aspects. And we see in Paul all of those things. He is regularly worshiping wherever he goes. He tries to find people that he can worship with. He goes and shares the word of God with people. And he's always serving. Uh, I don't know, maybe Paul was a little more burned than learned. But we need all of those facets in our lives. So Paul longs to see the Romans because he very much wants to connect with them. He wants to share fellowship with them, hear what's happening in their lives, hear how they're growing in faith, and he wants to be able to give them a gift as well.
Then we jump down to verse 13. I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that often I have planned to come to you and have been prevented so far, so that I may obtain some fruit among you also, even as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So, for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Paul really views himself as sort of a universal pastor. Actually, I Paul reminds me a lot of John Wesley, the founder of Methodism. And John Wesley, because of what he was preaching, got kicked out of all kinds of churches in England. Nobody wanted him there. So Wesley just went wherever he, he had to go in order to do it. He would do it out in the middle of a field. He'd do it anywhere and everywhere. Uh, he often said, the world is my parish. I just, you know, I preach wherever I go. That's Paul. Paul doesn't care where he's at. He truly becomes all things to all people in order to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with him. And so he's also eager to go to Rome, just like he'd be eager to go anywhere else to share the gospel. He just has this fire, this seal, this desire to share the gospel with the world around him. And then finally, Paul gets to verse 16, which is a pivotal verse. And for those of you who have already liked the Renewal Methodist page, this is the one I posted today. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Why are we ashamed of the gospel? Why is it so hard sometimes for us to share the gospel? Well, it's because I think we don't believe there's real power in it. And if you don't believe there's power in the gospel, then you feel like you're not going to have answers. You feel like you're going to come across judgmental. You feel like you're just going to be able to struggle. You're just going to struggle to be able to share it well. But here's the thing. The power of the gospel is not my power. It's not your power. It's not Paul's power. It's the power of God. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek. You know, I often say that our job is simply to proclaim the gospel that we have been given in Jesus Christ. The rest is God's work, and he'll do it as he sees fit, when he sees fit to do it. We may not see immediate results as we're having the conversation with the other person. Uh, we might. We might get an immediate repentance and a desire to start following Jesus. We might get, nah, I'm not really into that. That's not for me. Don't want that. But it's not our gospel. It's God's gospel. And so we share it with anyone and everyone where God calls us to and when the opportunity presents. And then we just share it. And then in verse 17, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. When we share the gospel, it's not just faith that we're receiving, it's faith that we're giving out. And when we give that out to other people, when we share the gospel with people, that is an act of faith, that God is going to work in the way that he chooses to work in that moment, and he's going to use us as vessels. It's sort of like giving yourself up to the gospel and allowing yourself as a bondservant, as Paul refers to it, as a bondservant to be used to share the gospel with another person and to have faith that God is going to work in that, even if you're not sure how. It's trusting in the promise of God 
through the gospel that he's going to do the work that he needs to do. So friends, that takes us through verses 1 through 17. As promised, it's not going to be every single day, or as mentioned, it's not going to be every day, but it will at least be once a week that I work through Romans with you. So I can promise that. I look forward to it. I love doing this. I think Romans is just an amazing book. As we've already seen in the first 17 verses, uh, Paul's going to pack a lot in here. Next time, we are going to get into unbelief and its consequences. This is one of those that the church today tends to struggle with. I don't really think it's that big a deal, and I don't think it's that hard to work through. I think it's just being willing to do it, and I look forward to doing that with you. Friends, God bless. Have a great day, and talk to you next time. Thanks for joining us today. We deeply value your support and we're always eager to hear your thoughts. Please feel free to leave a comment about today's episode. And if you have any prayer requests, we'd be honored to bring those before God with you. Remember, if you're finding value in our conversations, we'd appreciate it if you could rate us and subscribe to stay updated on all our upcoming episodes. Thank you for being part of our community and may you be richly blessed in your journey with Christ.